Greetings, salutations in the name of our Lord. Uh, welcome to Wrap Up Saturday, where I just kind of blow through what uh, I talked about throughout the week and and uh, give my takeaways from the uh, Gospel of John that I covered this week. Again, just a reminder, this is not a deep dive into theology. This is not a deep dive into uh, the original languages. This is a deep dive into page. I'm doing this... This microphone here. There we are. I'm doing this devotional for me. And anybody who listens in uh, is welcome to listen to me as I think with my mouth open. Hello, Henry. How are you today? Good to see you again, my friend. So, without any further ado, let's just go to chapter 14 of John. Let's see what my takeaway is. Oh, when I say takeaway, this is my takeaway of something. What I'm speaking about is a habit I have of whenever I attend a lecture or a, a class uh, I realize that I am never going to be able to remember everything about everything that's spoken or said. So what I look for is my takeaway. What can I take away from this message, from this passage of Scripture, that I can put to work in my life today? I'm going through the Gospel of John for the specific purpose of finding out how Jesus expects me to behave, to act as a Christian. And so in every passage of Scripture, there's a million things you can draw from it. I look for that one special thing. So today we're just going to review the, that uh, my takeaways for chapters 14, 15, and 16. So let's go look at chapter 14 real quick. Um this is the one where Jesus starts off by saying, don't let your hearts be troubled. Their hearts were troubled. He's getting ready to tell them that uh, he's leaving them. And But Jesus says, I have to leave you so that I go prepare a place for you. And I find this incredibly comforting that God has a place for me. I don't know what it's going to be like. I think I, if I remember correctly, I shared a dream I had. Uh, it may the dream may or may not be true. It just may have been the uh, spaghetti sauce reacting with my brain while I was sleeping. But I had a wonderful dream where an angel of the Lord took me to the place that God had prepared for me. And if you know anything about me, uh, you know that I was born and raised in Alaska, and I am in love with the Alpine. Uh, geographical type thing. I love mountains, mountain lakes, rivers, creeks. I like fishing. I like living in a forest. Um, and so here I am. I end up in Georgia, about as far away from that as you can get. But God, in my dream, this angel took me to a cabin. I love cabins. Had a huge wraparound porch. I love huge wraparound porches. And inside the cabin was this open beam ceiling, and it was just absolutely the most beautiful cabin I've ever seen. And leaning against the wall was uh, 
an incredible guitar. And I, I was reaching for it in my dream when I woke up. So now, does that mean that God has a cabin for me? I don't know. I just know, though, that Jesus has gone ahead to prepare a place. And I have no idea what that place is going to be like. And I truly believe that heaven won't be us sitting on clouds playing harps. Um, there's a verse in Ephesians that says he has prepared good works for us. And if I remember my Greek studies correctly, it's speaking of works yet to come. And it's the in Greek, let's see if I can let's see if I can draw this. Let's see if I can draw this. All right, there we go. Color there we are. All right, yeah. Figure pretend time is a line. Here's the past. Here's the present. And here is the future. Yet unrealized. Verbs in the Greek language are oh, it's they're amazing. They're like three-dimensional. And the verb that's used when he's prepared works for us. It refers to a moment in the past when something was done. Okay. And the repercussions of that act carry through the present and are aiming at a future which isn't here yet. It's still ongoing. It's not done. The same verse is the same type of verb is used when we talk about uh, for by grace are you saved through faith. The word saved is points to an event in the past that took place and the repercussions are carrying through the present aiming at the future when they'll be realized. So you could say you were saved so you could go through the process of being saved so that one day you might be saved. We also use three words to describe that. Justification, I was saved. Sanctification, I'm being saved. Glorification, I will be saved. But the point is, it's not here yet. It's not done. This is an action that is not yet completed. Well, the works that God has prepared for us are extending into the future not yet realized. So he's going to go and prepare a place for us. I kind of think it's tied in with that. So I wouldn't be surprised if God gave me a cabin in the mountains to live in because he knows he loves me and he knows that would bring me much joy. When my children were little, nothing gave me greater joy than to surprise them with a gift they weren't expecting, but with something they secretly longed for. Um, I remember when my son was in college. Uh, he was a music major. And his, mus his instrument of study was the classical guitar. Now, the classical guitar instructor at the University of Georgia at that point was a world-renowned instructor, and he was very hard on his students. And the only classical guitar my son had was a classical guitar, an inexpensive classical guitar I had bought for his mother 30 years previous. 
it was not up to the standards expected for classical uh, performing classical guitar student. Um, but he never complained. He made do with what he had, even though everybody else around him had these incredibly gorgeous handcrafted instruments. Well, my wife and I got a hold of his teacher. And we told him that we wanted to buy Matt an appropriate instrument for college. And he said he knew a luthier in Spain that he could speak with. And not only that, since he knew my son so well, he said, I can tell that luthier exactly what he needs to do with an instrument so that it would fit your son. So we did that. And we gifted Matt that classical guitar. I can't remember if we got it for Christmas or just whenever. And when he saw the guitar, he cried. This big old boy of mine cried. He had never asked us for a guitar. In his heart, he wanted a guitar like that, but he, he would never have dreamed of asking us for something like that. He made do with what he had, secretly desired a great classical guitar. And when we gave it to him, the joy that was in my heart was unspeakable. I kind of think that's the way God is with us. He's going to prepare a place for us. I don't ask him for a cabin in the mountains. I don't ask him for a lake or a river. I don't, but in my heart, I'm secretly desiring a place of rest, a place of uh, joy with that alpine air. That's what's in my heart. And it would not surprise me at all because if God were to gift me with something like that, because that's the kind of good father he is. So Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. That's my takeaway from that. And of course, we had that classic verse where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That's a pretty exclusive claim. No one comes to the father but by me. We talked a little bit about that. We also talked about uh, Jesus is going to promise the Holy Spirit in chapter 14. He, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal everything about Jesus to us. Long after the physical Jesus is gone, the Holy Spirit will remain, and he will uh, reveal everything. He's the teacher of our hearts. He's the transformer of our hearts. He transforms our hearts. Jesus had to leave so that the Holy Spirit could come. Now, John chapter 15. Let's take a look at that. Move it over. There we are. This is the one where he starts talking about the vine and the branches. And if you remember correctly, we talked about how if there's a healthy branch bearing fruit, that fruit will tell the story of the vine it's attached to. In other words, or I should say, that branch will uh, produce fruit that reflects the nature of the vine that it's attached to. Whoever is attached, whatever branch is attached to the vine is expected to produce fruit. So we talked a little bit about what, what that fruit looks like. Well, that fruit's going to reflect the character of the vine, right? So the fruit of the Spirit is going to reflect the character of the God who's called us, the God who we serve. 
And the fruit of the Spirit is described in Galatians 5. Paul tells us exactly what that means. And if those things are present in your life, you're going to reflect the life and attitude of Jesus. Um, do you remember the two primary commandments that Jesus gave? He says, if, if when asked what are the, what's the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Upon these hang all the laws. So, that becomes your primary focus, and that's been my biggest takeaway from the Gospel of John, by the way, so far. If your focus is to love God and to love your neighbor, you're going to be closing in on emulating Jesus because that's what Jesus did. Now, Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, true. But if you look at his life, this three and a half years of ministry when he was on, when he was on planet Earth, you find him interacting with all different kinds of people. His neighbor was whoever was around him that had need. Lazarus needed to be raised from the dead. The adulteress needed to be saved from stoning. The Samaritan woman, what was her need? She needed to realize who Messiah was. The blind man needed to be have his eyes healed. The lame man needed to walk. The leper needed his disease removed from his body. Jesus is the exact picture of love your neighbor as yourself. So my biggest takeaway from John chapter 15 is the fruit of the vine reflects the character of that vine. And I think I use the example of conquered grapes. If it's a conquered grape plant or vine, you expect to find conquered grapes hanging off that vine. If you are Jesus's disciple, I would expect you to be focusing on acting like Jesus. Love God, love your neighbor. All right. He also, this is where he started his little diatribe on how the world's going to hate you. You'd think that if you love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself, that's going to make you everybody's bud because you're going to be so kind and loving. But the truth of the matter is, that's the antithesis of how the world acts. The world does not love God. The world loves itself. And it's not as concerned about other people as it is about itself. That's the attitude of the world. And so if you're going to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbors yourself, you're going to find yourself in opposition to the world. If the fruit of the Spirit is going to be uh, evident in your life in growing quantity, then you're going to find yourself being taken advantage of, made fun of, you're going to find yourself ridiculed. In fact, in the end, the world will hate you. Eventually, 
you will come face to face with your enemy, the world, and you will be required to make a choice. Do I do what Jesus says or do I do what the world says? If you are a follower of Jesus, the world is going to hate you. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes back to that. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to testify about me. And you also must testify. So it's not just the Holy Spirit's job to change the hearts and minds of people. It's our job to testify as well. Now, this brings up a, an interesting situation or, or picture that I like to use. Uh, we're called to be a witness, to testify. This is legal terms, court terms, right? Something you expect to hear in a court courtroom. What does a witness testify to? He testifies to what he or she has seen or heard. He doesn't uh, muse about things. He doesn't wonder about that. He only tells what he knows and what he has personally witnessed. So what do I know? I know that God is good. What do I know? I know that his strength brings me through every trial. What do I know? Jesus Christ was crucified and on the third day raised from the dead. What do I know? He's provided me with food and shelter in times of need. He's protected me in the midst of storms and earthquakes. What do I know? I know what God has done to me. And that is what I testify about. I don't make stuff up. I don't try to take on anybody else's story. I tell the truth about what I know to be true, what's happened in my life. I'm a witness. I'm not the prosecuting attorney. It's not my job to convince anybody of anything. I just tell what I know to be true. I'm not the judge. It's not my place to judge anybody in their eternal for in their eternal state. It's not my place to say he's going to hell or she's going to heaven. Has nothing I, I that's not my job. I'm a witness. I testify to what I know and what I've seen. All right, then we go moved on to chapter 16. Let me go find chance. There we are, John chapter 16. And I think this is where we were yesterday. He goes on and provides a little bit more detail to the disciples about what life's going to be like after he's gone. Uh, he's telling them these things ahead of time so that they won't, they won't fall away. He's telling them what to expect. He said, they're going to put you out of the synagogue excommunicate you. They're going to kick you out. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. There's a story of Saul of Tarsus, or Paul the Apostle, uh, come to mind. In the opening chapters of Acts, we find that Paul, the who would become Paul the Apostle, Saul, he was going around and pulling Christians out of their homes. He was there at the stoning of the killing of Stephen, one of the deacons of the first church. And he was in this, he thought he was definitely in the service of God. And he says, that's what's going to happen to you. Well, 
flash forward to today, there's going to come a time when the world system will actively stand up against us for a time right now in the United States anyway. That's not true. There's animosity and there's suspicion and there's ridicule. But so far, this has not happened to us. But around the world, that's not true. Around the world, this is exactly what's happening. Christians are being killed for being Christians. When I was in Russia, the uh, Russian Orthodox Church, which had very strong political connections with their government, was actively opposing evangelical Christian churches. The re- you, you could say the religious community was turning on those who were of the evangelical faith. Kind of like the synagogue and the priests and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious elite in Jesus' day were turning on anybody who followed Jesus. So he's telling me, look, the religious community that is the heart and soul of your community is going to kick you out. That's a possibility. The world does not like us. The world hates us. And eventually, we will. Uh, there will be a line drawn in the sand, and we as believers have to be ready to stand up and say, I won't cross this line. Jesus is telling us that the world that we live in is not our home. Like that old hymn I sang, the, the, uh, this is, the world's not my home, I'm just a passing through. I'm more and more convinced that in a matter of generations, and I, this could just be an old guy just kind of muttering in his beard, but I am of the op- opinion that in several generations, we're going to see great restrictions placed on the Christian church in this country. Um, I would not be surprised to find that big churches will be unable to exist without the sanction of the government which will mean the kind of churches that you and I probably are attending might have to change into something that looks a little bit different. This pandemic that we've gone through this last couple of years has forced many Christian families to look at church differently. Not because the church is kicking them out, but because just through necessity, health, and uh, being careful. Many families have gone back to having church in their home. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. We don't need a church building to be a church. In the beginning, there was there were no church buildings. People just went from house to house. They fellowshiped, they shared, they supported, they loved. Um, it wasn't really for a couple centuries till... Uh, Church building started becoming a thing. So, John 16's big takeaway was the world's not going to like us. The world doesn't like us. And the world will eventually get around to doing something about it. 
so there you are. That's my wrap up for the week. Um, John chapter 17 next week. Let me see what that's going to be about. Let's see here. John 17. There's 16. Give you a sneak preview, John 17. It's Jesus' prayer for his disciples. He prays for his disciples and he prays for all believers. All of John chapter 17 is a prayer. And we're going to start looking at that next week. All right. With that, my Saturday wrap-up's gone. I'm Mr. G. This is my coffee. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. <laughs>